Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. Our guest today, Grady Gibbs. Grady helps healthcare companies engage more doctors, and he helps doctors sell more products and procedures. After launching a direct-to-consumer ad campaign for a drug company, he realized doctors needed more help than drug companies and began what is now almost a 20-year career serving doctors and helping them achieve their triple aim. Good for the patient, good for the system, and good for the doctor. Grady Gibbs teaches me about some of the challenges in our current healthcare system and how there may be a large movement of doctors into entrepreneurship. He talks about costs and how the current system has too many middle players, and when the employers start seeing they have the power as the payer, it will start to generate change and create new options. Grady, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just looking forward to a, a great conversation, and I think we'll talk about some things that have never been talked about on the show, so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. Okay. <laughs> so having me. absolutely so i guess tell me a little bit about how you jumped into entrepreneurship and, and consulting <laughs> um i've really pretty much been an entrepreneur all my life uh started in high school uh we were in brazil and met a, a local guy who was a, a friend of my parents who uh put some gemstones with me on consignment so I, I literally had a shoebox full of tourmalines and amethysts and topaz and all the other semi-precious stones. No diamonds, of course. Um, I brought them back to the to the U.S. that summer and basically went door to door, <laughs> talked to anybody who talked to me, and I'd start pulling out these stone collections. And of course, we had great pricing, and wound up selling this whole box of stones. And then when I got back to Brazil, I paid the guy you know, what he, what he had as the price. And that just kind of, for me, that was just from now on, I'm going to be about owning my own thing, doing my own thing. And then uh, in college, uh, I've always been interested in architecture. And if I had any talent, I'd probably be an architect. Um, unfortunately, you know, straight lines, even with a ruler cannot be done. So, uh, but I, would, I went downtown Houston to look at the big office buildings because I love the big, you know, office towers. And I got wandering around and there's a tunnel system that connects the office buildings there. And everyone, this is mid 80s, of course, everyone's wearing suits and ties. The women were wearing uh, suits with like a skirt. Uh, they had the bow ties on. Everybody's wearing nice dress shoes. And I'm looking around and not seeing any dry cleaners. So I approached the manager of the 910 Travis building, which we used to be called M-Bank. Um, I think it's now Chase um, and asked if I could rent space in the tunnel and open a dry cleaners. <laughs> so I wound up with four locations of dry cleaners with shoe repair and got my own shoe repair equipment, hired a guy who was a shoemaker, learned how to do shoe repair myself I've always joked if it all falls down, I can go fix shoes for a living if I need to, you know. Nice. Um, ran Everybody's got to wear shoes. Yeah. And it was a great business. Learned a lot of good business lessons. 
uh, from that that first sort of real business. And I've had a, a you know a couple of setbacks where I had to take a a regular job, you know, but we've all been there. Uh, <laughs> gone broke a couple of times. Never never stiffed any investors or burned any banks. But I personally had have gone under a couple of times. And, you know, in the rebuild, I've had some corporate jobs, uh, but, you know, just never looked back in terms of wanting to be, wanting to have kind of my own thing and and be, you know, in my own deal. Nice. So let's talk about your current, your, your, your current iteration and, and what led you to, to what you're doing today. Okay. So um, had a, had one of the failures where again, I, all the investors got paid, but I went from uh, $3 million net worth to negative net worth in about three months. Okay. Ouch. Yeah, it was, it was a very painful experience. I was on the verge of being able to, to retire with plans to like move back to South America and just live on my, on my fortune. Um, Cause you know, the differential in cost of living 3 million bucks, 5 million bucks, you can live, you can live a very comfortable life down there. Absolutely. Um, and I know, I know, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I was, kind of in this path to do that at 29 went broke at 30. Um, you know, it was kind of around my birthday, which was great. <laughs> kind of that little extra, that little extra something, you know, uh, decided, uh, in consultation with my ex-wife, uh, who was still my wife at the time that I needed a, you know, I needed to get off the roller coaster of entrepreneurship and in that, you know, if I wanted to stay married, so I went back to grad school to get a PhD in political science with the idea that I would be a, a college professor. And then I was going to do some consulting with my statistics skills on the side. Well, while I was in grad school, she got laid off. I had to go to work. And so I had a, a corporate job for a while, ran the telecom group at JD Power and Associates. Wow. A fun job, lots of travel. And basically I had moved to Dallas uh, because I was, it was a, such a, such a hectic travel schedule. It's easier to travel from Dallas than LaGuardia. No sooner moved to Dallas or back to Dallas where I'm originally from. I got a job offer to work in New York city, uh, which was where I had been uh, to go back to New York city for a brand strategy job in advertising. And we were uh, a boutique firm that did the strategy for advertising campaigns. So if you're a major advertiser, like a beer company or a tennis shoe company or a car company, they've got like a, a team of full-time employees who work on strategy. Smaller advertisers typically ignore strategy, which is a huge mistake and don't do any of it. But there's that middle, that middle ground, people that are spending, you know, $50 million a year on advertising, hundred million a year on advertising. Um, which, by the way, is not a big budget when you're talking about car companies. That's a that's a smaller account. But those guys could could pay for strategy, but didn't have the full time people. And in that job, one of the projects we took on was for a drug where we were going to do the strategy for a direct to consumer ad campaign. And we put three million people on that drug in 90 days. Wow. And. Well, it's why you see the ads on TV about, you know, if you have this condition, ask your doctor. It's because they work. They get people to go talk to their doctor and get that prescription. Doctors love them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to med school for, for four years, did residency. I've been practicing for 20. But yeah, 
some guy on TV told you to try this drug. That's great. You know? <laughs> yeah, they don't, they're, not, they're not big fans of the, of the campaigns. And at the time, I knew so little about healthcare that I actually thought doctors got paid for that time and effort to put you on a prescription. And I didn't even know to call it a CPT code, which is the, the code that you use to bill something in healthcare. Um, I didn't even know that that's what it was called. I just asked, like, so what are the doctors going to get paid for putting these patients on these prescriptions? And the drug company guys thought I was an idiot. Um, not not the first time that's happened to me, but <laughs> you know, they were like, oh, this is this is their obligation. This is this is what they signed up for. They owe this to society to take care of these patients. And I, you know, I sat there and thought, look, if I put a gun to your head and make you pick my cotton, we all have a word for that. And we all <laughs> recognize that as evil. Right. Right. But if I put a gun to your head and make you write prescriptions for my drug company, somehow that's your societal obligation. No, that didn't. That, no. Uh, within two weeks, I'd quit that job and started my own agency back in Dallas to go work for the doctor. And I've basically been working for doctors ever since. Nice. So now we, we do reimbursement work. We, uh, we provide uh, kind of a distribution or reseller model for a lot of um, services and software for practices um, and then consult with uh, both private, mostly independent or private practice uh, doctors, but we do have clients who are, you know, the big 30 hospital, uh, what we call IDN or integrated delivery network. That's like a series of hospitals and surgery centers, but they also own doctor's offices. We get into working with guys like that as well. But our, our focus is helping the doctor take better care of the patient. And of course, in the context of doing right by the system, because we don't want to bill stuff just to bill it, right? The, there's, there's some of that out there where, where we can like do some testing on patients just to generate revenue uh, and the tests don't really have a lot of value. We, we avoid all that kind of stuff, but our focus is, you know, good for the patient, good for the system and good for the doctor. Hmm. So good. Obviously. So you, you mentioned character there. Um, obviously that, that that's a, a huge, you know, character issue. Um, why, why is that important? Meaning the, sorry. But yeah. The idea of the idea of doing tests and doing, you know, billing insurance right. companies for things that aren't necessarily helpful to the patient. Right. I, I think there's two ways that you can approach ethics questions and it's best if you can come at it from both perspectives, but there's, there's really two ways. One is you have to look at yourself when you shave. Right. And so you do things that you know are not going to, give you trouble sleeping at night, things that you're not going to be ashamed to tell your grandmother that this is what you do for a living, that kind of thing. That that sort of just internal, I'm a, I want to be a good person and I'm going to do the right thing kind of motivation is, it, for, for a lot of people, that's enough. But I think there's also a very practical um, uh, perspective to take. And that is, if you really want long-term success, long-term relationships, want to grow a business and and do long-term do well, it pays to do the right thing. You know, uh, I, I was raised by a, a manufacturing guy who used to say it's, it's uh, doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. And 
you know, when you're in business, if you're doing right by clients um, and doing right by sort of the ethics and that, you attract the kind of people that that you want to be in business with. And the guys that are interested in kind of cutting corners and running scams and things like that, they'll kind of avoid you because they know you're not one of them. Absolutely. <laughs> so whichever one of those is motivating to you, best if you can get a little of both. But that anyway, both of those work for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, and but it but it is very important, right? I think for you, you really mentioned it, long-term success, long-term relationships, the better that you are at taking care of people, even the people that you disagree with, right? You're gonna you're gonna have a business that's sustainable over the long haul. That's right. And, and you know, there's a there's a there's a saying in sales about having commission breath, right? Where where the the, the prospect can smell your your eagerness to close a deal and score a commission, they can smell that on you. And I use the analogy of a dog that can tell when you're afraid of it and therefore attacks. Um, I think clients can tell when you are genuinely interested in helping them and doing the right thing. Mm. And when you come in with that as your approach, like I'm not here to do a deal or make a sale or collect a commission. I'm here to see how I can serve this client. Nice. When you come in with that attitude, I think they can smell it on you. They can sense it in you. And um, like I said, it tends to attract the people you want to do business with and in some ways repels those people that you never really wanted to do business with anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and that's important, right? So, you know, you've, you've chosen the, the medical niche, um, but I think some of the things that you work with and things that you do apply to those those professionals, right? They're a doctor, a lawyer, uh, an accountant, um, right. those types of professionals that, that are really good at a specific skill that, you know, a specific service that they provide for people, but not necessarily at looking at themselves as a brand. Right. Let's talk a little bit about, about branding and brand strategy and the value that that adds to a business. Even if you're, you're the best in the world at, at, you know, what it is that you do, right? Practicing medicine, serving, you know, right. Helping babies or kids or whatever, you know, whatever specialty the doctor has. Um, if nobody knows that that's what they do, then they're not, their practice isn't going to grow very big. Exactly. We, um, I, I tend to, I tend to talk about mindset a lot. Um, and, you know, in, in sort of fellow entrepreneurs and salespeople and, you know, people who are out, making things happen in the world. Mindset's kind of just something we all talk about. We all get it. We all understand it. Whether or not we master the right mindset for our for our purposes, that, that sometimes varies, of course. But we get the importance of mindset. And I think a lot of times, um, doctors especially, and I, and I think it applies to any, any profession, tend to have spent a lot of years conforming to the path and so the idea of being different from other doctors is, is a very difficult thing to for them to face because medical school and the residency and the training process is sort of driving you towards doing what everyone else does. Mm -hmm. And the analogy I always use is, uh, you know, the, the, the commandant of the Marine Corps. Right. I don't know. I don't even know the guy's name right now. I don't even know who's in charge. But I can tell you, he likes push-ups. He thinks push-ups 
Think about that. He thinks push-ups are a great way to condition the, the body. And why does he think that? <laughs> I mean, he's been in that Marine Corps culture for 30 plus years where everything is a significant emphasis on doing a lot of push-ups. It's one of the ways we measure your fitness is how many push-ups can you do uh, in like two minutes or whatever it is, right? And so the fact that he's now in charge of the Marine Corps, he hasn't rejected or, or neglected that, that conditioning, that channeling uh, of his mindset. And when you, when you talk to clients in the healthcare field, a lot of it is about your job is not to talk and sound like other doctors. You have to establish a unique voice. You have to set yourself apart from other doctors um, in a way that is sustainable differentiation versus your, your, the other doctor that a, that a patient could go to. And that can be really challenging sometimes for them hmm. uh, to, to get that right and, and figure that out. But once they do, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Well, and, and it shouldn't be that challenging, right? Because you're asking them to, to just be them, be their authentic self and identify that authenticity within themselves that, that they can bring to their patient relationships. That's right. And, 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 and there's a, there's an element of empathy, which, um, you know, and, and I, I know you, you probably don't make this mistake, but a lot of people do. They think of empathy as sympathy. Mm like feeling sorry for people or, you know, feeling bad about their circumstances. And that's not really what empathy is. Empathy to me is, is getting inside the other person's head and understanding where they're coming from. So in a negotiation, being able to figure out what's driving this other guy's perspective, where is he coming from, understanding what he needs out of the negotiation and giving it to him so that you get what you need out of the negotiation. That's, that's empathy. And when you're a doctor, it's taking that time to think about how the patient views what you do. I mean, you know, look, I'm 55 years old. I played every sport that's bad for the knees, right? I was an <laughs> offensive lineman. I was a competitive powerlifter. I raced velodrome. I played catcher in baseball. Trust me, I'm going to get my knees done at some point. And if you think about it, some guy is going to take a scalpel and slice open my leg, <laughs> Right peel back the skin, take a bone saw and cut my leg bones off, <laughs> right? Anchor in this titanium knee replacement where my knee used to be and then sew me back up. Well, as a consumer, as a patient, that's a little bit intimidating. You know, hey. you're, you're, you know, <laughs> you're going to open up my body and stick your hand inside my body. That's not a that's not a comfortable thing. But for a doctor, that's just another day at the office. That's just that's just our routine day. This is what I do all day, every day is I replace knee joints. And so the idea that that they they have to look at it from the way I look at it, if what they're trying to do is get me to do my knees with them. Right. Well, and, and that and that empathy, the, the system isn't really allowing for that as much right now. Right. Obviously, the the payment system and the timing system and, and the way everything is being I mean, doctors are being pushed into a position where, where right. they, they, they literally, their conversation with the patient is reading the nurse's notes <laughs> and, and, sure. and then, and then they get 30 seconds to say, well, do you have any questions? Right. And, and, and they have to go in and do this surgery 
having no opportunity for empathy with the patient, no, no opportunity because so much of it is, is just, this is the system. This is what the patient has. This is what doctor confirms it. Patient gets treatment. And like the knee replacement, that's just a treatment, right? It's just a, an assembly line. That doctor's doing six of those on his surgery day. He's probably doing six knees because right. that's what the system's requiring him him to do. And I think that that empathy is is lost because now doctors no longer have the opportunity to say, you know, to to have a conversation with a patient and to sit, you know, to sit across from them and and really find out where are they coming from and. I think what's getting lost in this are so many of the mental health issues and so many of the autoimmune things that are being described as autoimmune systems where the person's body is just not in alignment with right with either what they're eating or, or what the activities that they're doing and their body's rebelling against it. Um, and the doctor only has the opportunity to give them a drug and try this drug or try that drug or try this thing rather than finding out hey what what is going on in your life what 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 are these things that are happening in your life and so we're prescribing all of these plethora of medicines to solve these problems and really all we're doing we've become a, a symptom treating care system rather than a wellness system right well and the, and, and you're, you're absolutely right the the independent doctor can take that like we talked about take that mindset of I want to do right by the patient and do those things in a private practice. The, the problem is when you get doctors who are employed by a healthcare system, which is now unfortunately roughly half the doctors in this country are employees of a healthcare system. And so what you've got is you've got someone like me with a finance background who understands the numbers, who has no medical training whatsoever, right? And that guy's in charge. Um, I mean, I, I joke with clients that my medical training stopped at the life-saving merit badge that I was awarded as a Boy Scout. Right? That's the, yes. the extent of my. That's the extent of my medical training. So I look at it and say, I'm not qualified to tell a doctor how to practice medicine. Right? And yet it goes on every single day. Mm. Uh, we actually have a client who left. Uh, one of the big systems because she was trying to refer a patient with migraines to a neurologist, <gasps> right? Which is, you know, sounds, sounds like they're, the right step. Yeah. The, the neurologists, there are neurologists who obviously all neurologists study everything, but there's a group of neurologists who really hone in on the migraine issue and that becomes something they are incredibly good at treating. Well, there are other neurologists who deal with things like traumatic brain injury and, and trauma to the brain. Not to say that both can't do the other's job. It's just when you have a brain injury, you want to go to the TBI person. When you have migraines, you want to go to the neurologist who specializes in migraines. Makes sense. And, you know, just common sense, right? So she wants to refer a patient to a neurologist who is the local migraine guy. Um, the system says, no, we have hired a new neurologist who's this brilliant, you know, very educated, super smart guy, but he's new and he's got a fairly empty schedule and we need to fill up his schedule. And this guy's a TBI guy. And it's like, yeah, if I have a motorcycle wreck and I've injured my brain, that's the guy I definitely would want to go to. 
<clears throat> but she was forced to send this migraine patient to a TBI doctor. And that, that process is all being driven by what we call suits and not by good medical decision-making. So now I do, ha I do have a prediction for you and, and, and this is being recorded. So it'll be out there for, for people to come back and look at in a couple of years. I think this process of systems owning doctors is going to start reversing. I think there's going to be a massive layoff of the primary care doctors who create the referrals and the surgeons and, and specialists who treat those referrals that are owned by the system. <clears throat> and there's a huge amount of opportunity for people in like where I am. If you see this trend coming, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity, including a bunch of stuff that I can't even imagine that somebody's going to go out there and, and, and take advantage of this trend. But I think you're going to see hundreds of thousands of doctors laid off and have to go back into the private practice model. Well, and, and I mean, so I'm as, I'm as much of an expert in, in the medical care system as, as you are with your life-saving merit badge, but, but based on just my experience in business and my experience in nonprofit, first off, I think that you know, the, the worst thing that ever happened was when hospitals became profit centers, right? And so when, when they were started as nonprofits and they were ran by churches and, and their, their intention was not to become, you know, profitable, their intention was to take care of patients. When that model switched, obviously they became, like you said, ran by suits. So I think that has to go away. I think that has to, it has to go back. For healthcare to be healthy, it has to go back to a place where it's not necessarily focused on profit; it's focused on patient care. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna politely, I'm gonna politely disagree with you there, though. Good, I like it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm being completely respectful, but I disagree, and I and I will point you to something called Purnell's Law. And my my academic training is in political science, so obviously I get into the game theory stuff in organizations over time, the people who typically rise to run the organization, uh, their incentives and motives and objectives are furtherance of the, of the agenda. There's this other group that's there to serve the original mission of the organization, but the group that focuses on advancing the institution itself are the ones who typically rise to power. And you see this in any bureaucracy. So, yes, in the original model, everybody in the hospital was all about taking care of patients and doing right by the community and doing some charity care for the people that were indigent. Right. And those people are still there. They wear white lab coats and stethoscopes and they're called doctors. <clears throat> the people in that organization whose attitude was more about let's build an organization uh, those people are now the administrators, unfortunately. And, and you see it in, in government bureaucracies a lot <laughs> that in order to get promotion and, and better pay and prestige and all of the other things that you want, you're measured by how many people work for you, <laughs> right? The bigger the department you run, the more important you are. And so there's no real incentive to kind of be lean and, and get the job done with seven people. You want to have... 42 people in your department because that makes you more important because you're over these 42 people. So silly. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's, that to me is more, it's less about whether they're for profit or nonprofit. 
as this sort of institutional pressure to say we're insulated from the real world. We can just kind of do what we want to do. And there's a symbiotic and it's a dysfunction, but it's a symbiotic relationship with the insurance companies too, because the insurance companies do not have any incentive to cut costs. Right. 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 Uh, Well, especially, and a lot of people don't know this, there's a medical loss ratio ruling in uh, the Affordable Care Act, right? Insurance companies have to pay out a certain percentage of their premium or they get penalized. Well, that effectively makes them a cost plus contract. (laughs) So what do you want to, you know, when you're on cost plus, what do you want costs to do? Right. If costs go up, my little piece of uh, on top of that costs <coughs> is a bigger number. So the insurance right. industry, the insurance industry now is completely modeled around how can we spend more money to, you know, be able to raise the premium so that our 20% of spending is a bigger number. And then oh, we yeah. can hire more people for our department and <laughs> it's it's <laughs> you know? it's it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean the, the things that have happened and, and I think the laws that have been written obviously are focused on certain areas and have been driven, driven by certain, certain entities. But I can, I can tell you that first of all, our pharmaceutical system is, is insane. And, you know, their, their costs, cash cost is based on the insurance company's billing model, which is why now you have good RX and these other companies that are offering discount codes to get you a right. cash price. That's really the real cash price, right? But the only way you get the real cash price is with somebody's coupon code. Like my mom is on a, a medication and she's on Medicare and, and, and in a memory care facility. And if I go cash pay for it, it's cheaper than if Medicare pays for it. It's right. the stupidest thing. And, 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 and it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't have to be that way. You know, like now they're, you know, New York is making employers put the salary on their, on their, job offerings. And it's like, there should be a flat, you know, the the drug price should be the drug price and it shouldn't be, well, if you're this, it's this drug price. If you're that, it's that drug price. And well, the cash price, it's way up here because, because that's the model. That's the price that the model's based on. And then they only get to collect 30%. So the higher they make that price go, well, guess what? The more they get paid. And so, so that, well, those are the things that obviously the system needs to fix. And, and well, there's a whole it. ecosystem of companies between the pharmaceutical manufacturer and of course there is. <laughs> and they're, they're called pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs. And some of them are decent companies that are actually trying to help employers control costs. Um, but most of the big ones are really they call themselves distributorships, but they really have just you know, sort of force their way to the trough <laughs> and they are pigging out on the money that's there. Um, if you look at, if you look at the actual money paid to the pharmaceutical company, it's about 10 cents on the dollar of healthcare spend. Isn't that crazy? That's not a big number. Right. Now there's, a, there's a lot more than that being spent on drugs, but, but they are, the, they are the ones that are taking the heat for being the evil and the, <laughs> The evil right. in the world. I, I honestly think it's the, the the those intermediaries, devices, medical devices, another eight to ten percent, hmm. right? So all your implants, your pain modulators, all those sorts of things, and then doctors' compensation. 
is only eight cents on the dollar. <clears throat> so when or you less. look at the system, <laughs> drugs, devices, and doctors, those are the three that normally get all the negative pressure or negative heat. It's like these rich doctors that are ripping us off, kind of media, whatever. Doctors, devices, and drugs combine for less than 30, 30 cents on the dollar. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Add Value to Life Coaching. Want to learn the mindset secrets of successful entrepreneurs that have been shared on our podcast? Well, you can get them for free at addvaluemindset.com. A-D-D valuemindset.com. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Well, I will say, I will say that LinkedIn released a study on, on just a report, I guess, of the highest right. paid jobs in every state. And, right. and basically eight of the top 10 in every state was a doctor of some sort, anesthesiologist, surgeon of this or that. Or, so so they're not doing so bad. But they've also spent 12 years going to school, which is, you know, right. quite, quite a sacrifice in, in and of itself. So I absolutely think doctors should be compensated well for what they do. I think I think they need to have a system where they can treat less patients and still be compensated well, and, right. and then they can have better relationships with their patients. But you know, this our medical system saved my wife's life, and I will forever be grateful. And do I think the system can be improved? Of course, because yep. one doctor bills thirty-five thousand dollars and gets eight, and the other doctor billed forty thousand dollars and didn't get any. Like, right. like, how does this system work? And that doctor, you know, was in surgery with my wife for six and a half hours. So right. he saved her life. And the insurance company said, no, you don't get nothing this time. And, then, and in our conversation with the doctors, they're like, this is it's the only system where you can the doctors can bill the patient and the insurance company decides how much they get paid. Right. Can you, so, imagine, can you imagine going to a steakhouse? Exactly. There's no prices on the menu. They just mail you the bill later. And then and, like, and then and you have an intermediary bill. decide whether or not you get, whether or not it, it was good or, or you had to pay for it or exactly. how much you have to pay. Right. Exactly. Some guy's got an expense account. His employer decides what they're going to pay and they pay it. I have to pay mine out of my own pocket. It, and none of us know the prices until after we've had dinner. I wouldn't go to that restaurant. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 So it's well, it, it like, our conversation with one of her surgeons was, she said, I don't even, I gave up that long time ago because we, we do all this work and we have no idea how much we'll get paid. Right. <laughs> so, um, but incredible. The, the, the truth is we had a very good experience and, and obviously saving my wife's life was, you know, tantamount to having that good experience, but. Um, That's usually a good day. The right? system, the system, that's broken was all after the fact, not that I, our healthcare system is excellent. We have some of the most amazing technology. We have some of the most amazing training. We have some of the most amazing doctors and doctors teaching doctors. Uh, I right. think it, you know, obviously in the world we're, we're world, world-class, but you know, you and I both know the system's broken when it comes to money and the system's probably broken when it comes to um, relationships and, I would, I, would, I would politely disagree there as well. 
All right, let's go. The system is working exactly as it's intended to oh, work. Absolutely. That, that's yes, why I agree with that. <laughs> it's working for the people who are who have designed this system, which is these PBMs and insurance companies and the, and the administrative people. They're getting exactly what they want out of this system, which is to treat the doctor like a glorified auto mechanic. <laughs> you know, you have no autonomy. You have no decision making power. You simply go in there and turn wrenches. Right. You know, get those get those parts on those cars swapped out for me and, you know, we'll decide what to charge the customer and we'll pay you whatever we feel like paying you. And that's that is unfortunately where it is today for doctors. Now, what the good news is price transparency is coming mm -hmm. and price transparency is going to create a real problem for these bloated and uh, overly administered systems. OK, let me give you an example. Uh, I can get a knee replacement right here in the Dallas area. I can get my knee done for $20,000. $20, now, that's a top light surgeon. That's the top of the line titanium knee implant, right? Surgical, out the, off the charts in terms of quality and a great facility that's got, you know, good uh, secondary infection rates, very good readmission rates. I mean, they do it right. I can go down the street, and I mean literally down the street a couple of miles, and pay $60,000 a knee. I'm getting great surgical care. The facility is a good one. Using the same implant in both places, one of them's 20, one of them 60. Now, I joke that the $20,000 facility serves green jello on the food tray, and the 60 guys use the red jello. So it really comes down to. <laughs> You like green jello or red jello? Well, what's what's happening as price transparency kicks in and these rules start getting promulgated, employers are going to be watching and cr going back to the plan design and saying, hey, if you get your knee done at the $20,000 facility, there's no deductible, no copay, we'll cover it. If you choose to go to the $60,000 facility, we won't stop you, but you're going to pay twelve grand. Okay. And then the employee can make that choice, same as I do. Nothing wrong with green jello. <laughs> I'm not paying 12 grand to go to red jello, right? I'm going to go to the $20,000 knee implant and, and, and on we go. When that happens, though, <clears throat> once the systems start having to really have transparency to pricing, they right now lose money employing doctors. There's no CFO in a hospital system in this country who would argue with me about that point. Um, if he or she were to argue with me, that would be a sign of total incompetence. <laughs> they lose money employing doctors. Okay. The benefit is the primary care doctor who gets $100 for an office visit refers the patient to the surgeon who makes a couple thousand dollars for doing the surgery, but then that gets a facility fee of twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. So what they've done is created a funnel where the primary care is owned by the hospital, has to refer to their surgeons and specialists, who are also owned by the hospital, who then have to bring the facility or bring the patient to the facility for that treatment, whatever it is. So, perfect example: you can go get an MRI at a hospital and pay four to five thousand dollars. You can go out there to Green Imaging, which is a, a a friend of mine that owns, they'll get an, a, an MRI with and without contrast for 
350 to $400, depending on where you are in the country. Yeah, crazy. And once employers figure out <clears throat> how these how these numbers play, they're going to drive their employees to say, hey, we're not, we're not saying you can't go there. But if you choose to go to that more expensive facility, you're going to have to kick in your, your piece. And once that happens, they're going to start laying off these doctors. Well, that's, I mean, that's that that'll actually help the system, though, right? Because A, it'll allow these doctors to do something different outside of the system. Right. Yeah, it's going to be scary and, and it's going to stink for them, but it, it'll give them the chance to to be entrepreneurs and be responsible for their for their own, you know, their own journey and their own choices and their own business. Right. And, and go run their practice the way they want to run it. And when you get the, the patient with migraines, refer them to your colleague who's the migraine specialist, not the TBI guy. That's going to be how it's going to work. Wow. And and you're right. I think it's going to be a scary time for a lot of doctors. There are doctors now who've never been independent. Right. right? They've always worked for a system. They got out of their residency program, their first job. They went to work for one of the big systems and they're still employed there. And so the idea of having to go out, rent an office and hire a, a practice administrator and, and, a, and a nurse and a a medical assistant and buy equipment and exam chairs and get an just ESR. The, just the medical billing, right? Hiring a medical billing person would be a nightmare for most doctors. Like I, they don't do any of that and, and they right. would have to be responsible for that. So yeah, that could be, there could be a lot it, of support networks created. And yet, to support and yet the difference between a good billing person and a bad billing person can mean life or death to that practice. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Mean, yeah, because insurance insurance pays on those codes. If you put the wrong code, insurance may or may not pay. And then, yeah, it goes away fast if you don't have insurance That's paying, right. covering the, the things. And and by the way, if the coder, if the, the billing and coding work is uh, manipulated in order to get you more money and you cross certain lines, that hangs the doctor, not the biller. Because the oh. presumption is that the doctor directed that behavior. And so there are things you can do in billing that are unethical. Uh, well, we talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it earlier, right? That, yeah. Well, even ordering tests. And so that, that ethical issue comes up again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's it's sort of like, uh, and this is a very common one, um, <clears throat> where you did the service matters. Mm. And, and people will build the, the more valuable location Right. In order, even though the, the treatment didn't happen in the more expensive location, they'll bill that in order to get more money. Hmm. And and again, even if the doctor was completely unaware. It's their problem. <laughs> wow. Well, and, yeah. and that's why it's, it's going to be important for doctors to have support team that that can help them make sure that the billing people they're using are are honoring their values and honoring their, their ethics and doing things, you know, above board. Um, because obviously insurance companies have fraud people that are looking for this. They're looking for the people that are cheating the system. And, and when they catch them, like you said, the doctor is going to get blamed and then. Right. Yeah. It, it may not affect his medical license, but your medical license is worthless if you can't bill people. Right. Right. <laughs> so. and, 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 and don't forget a lot of times the, the payer is the federal government in the case of Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, et cetera. And the Office of Inspector General are a bunch of guys who do not play. 
These are people who walk in with a box of handcuffs and just start handing them out. Hey, put these on. You know, I mean, that that's a group of people. Uh, I've been part of it is just the way we run our business. I've never met anybody from the ONG. That's a and good I'm idea. Gonna I'm going to keep it that way. No offense, right. no offense to any of your listeners who might work at the OIG, but <laughs> my objective is to retire having never had any kind of involvement with those guys. It's yeah, like I, you just, it's not worth it. It's not. Yeah, that's obviously you, you don't want to, you just don't want to go there. And, and I think ethics in billing is, is going to be just as important in this process of, of improving this system right to to care about patients it's similar to the economic system right our the stock market has changed you know since the 80s basically that and and the focus for the 80s 90s and thousands was the stockholder for right for the most part but we truly need a system that takes care of the ceo the stockholder and the employees (laughs) And and I think, you know, we're seeing some of that happen with with corporate big corporations like Amazon and and some of those that are recognizing we've got to take care of our employees because they're a piece of this triangle. And I think doctors, insurance and healthcare system is going to have the same the same kind of (laughs) transformation. Right. It's, It's going to be a place where like you are focusing on, can we have a system that benefits both? our patients, the employers who are providing the, the finances for this. And then of course the doctors who are providing care. Right. Well, that, well, things are moving to a direct, a direct payment model. Um, we're actually working on a project with, with a, uh, an independent physicians association to create a monthly subscription for mm-hmm. primary care. So the employer would, would basically give their people, here's a list of doctors in the area. Um, we will pay 100% of your primary care costs. So you get your basic labs, you get your basic imaging, you can see your doctor as often as you need to for free. But then that doctor's job is going to be to take more of a wellness focus to say it's not just about waiting until you're sick to do something, but try to prevent illness. And at the same time, when you get to situations like my knees, to direct me to the place that's going to do that great knee replacement at the lowest cost. Nice. Well, and that's where really creating a wellness system, right, is beneficial to the employer. Right. If your employees don't get sick, they work better and work longer and they're healthier. And and I think and our system is <laughs> right. Well, in our and our our healthcare system has really become not only symptom care, but, but really um, we've done, we, we've had no connection between the healthcare system and lifestyle right. up until this point, really at any level. And, and at some point to truly have health care, to truly care for the wellness of a human being from the time we are children, we need to be educating about food is fuel and you need to be concerned about what you put in your body and you need to, you know, be concerned about the side effects of drugs and some of these things that that people are we're turning to drugs because we like microwave solutions rather than lifestyle changes that create long term solutions. And of course, long term health and that mindset and all those things that you mentioned earlier are all fueled by how your mind is working based on, you know, what you're fueling it with. Right. Uh, I, I like I like the food is fuel. 
but you know, food is medicine too. Of course, but in our country, it's emotion, right? We look at right. we we look at menus to, to to choose food based on how it's going to make us feel, instead okay, of yeah. how it's going to take care of our body. And and That's I think right. more and more we need to shift towards and and of course exercise is a big part of that, right? And and I think our culture has had a disconnect between these symptoms that you're having and this situation you've created now that you're you know you're 30 pounds overweight, your blood pressure is high, and all of these things. But you've done nothing as far as exercise and 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 care for yourself, right? And so I, I think I think not only are employers going to take more responsibility, I hope that employees will start taking more responsibility for for themselves and their and their long term health care. You know, that's one of the things we 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 face is you know the problem is there's a lag. <laughs> the things that you do today when you're in your twenties might not affect you when you're in your 20s. But when you're in your 40s and 50s and 60s, you start to see these results. And the problem is that's so far away that people discount that that risk, you know. It's and not going to so, happen to me. Right. Or, or, or I'll, you know, that's or that's a natural process. That's another one that like, hey, it's natural to get fat when you get old. No, it's not. You know, I mean, it's. I, I like to tell people, hey, tooth decay is natural. Doesn't mean you have to accept it. We right. still brush our teeth and floss, we've, and we've got a pretty good system for beating it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not a, giving people wooden teeth. It's a natural. It's a natural process to, for your teeth to rot out. Absolutely. You know? All right, Greg, I gotta, I gotta, we've all lost our teeth. <laughs> I, we got to switch this up and get a little more encouraging. Right. Let's talk about the the power of contribution and, and giving and. And I don't know how well that could tie to your doctors and your clients. Uh, oh, so maybe inspire we have, me. We have, we have, uh, there's a, there's a great program. We were one of the, the first companies to do when uh, Medicare unbundled the codes for remote patient monitoring. And this is for a Medicare patient who is hypertensive, for example, has a blood pressure monitor. They take their blood pressure every day and the data gets uploaded into the cloud where we can monitor it and react to it. And what Medicare did is they set out to do a five-year study. And at the in the third year, they unbundled the codes because the, what they were seeing in terms of the data was so overwhelming. Monitored patients um, had fewer falls. They had lower readmission rates when they went to the hospital for something else. Fewer CV events or cardiovascular events. So no, the heart attacks and strokes and so forth, all these numbers were so much better. And what they're finding is this, your heart attack or stroke is not a sudden event. You know, as, 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 as lay people, we tend to think, well, you know, he just, you know, just he was sitting there fine one minute and the next minute he fell out of his chair and he was dead, right? That did not actually happen instantly. If you look at that patient's blood pressure over the weeks prior, their blood pressure was trending up. Whatever their normal blood pressure was, it was trending out of that range. So this remote patient monitoring program is catching that, that this patient who has hypertension and they're on medication, but their blood pressure kind of bounces around and then all of a sudden it just starts going up. Well, you can get that patient back for an office visit 
This is not an emergency situation. This is not like, you know, ambulance with the lights flashing kind of thing. It's just get get them back to the, to the doctor, maybe adjust the medication. Maybe there's a lifestyle intervention. Maybe there's an underlying infection going on. There's a million things the doc can figure out, get that blood pressure back under control. And now there's no, there's no sudden heart attack a few months later, right? Well, we, we provide that as, as a service to our clients is one of, one of our lines of business. And I'm telling you, it gets you out of bed in the morning to know that you're saving lives. Mm. I mean, well, a guy so like me, I mean, a guy like me doesn't get to save lives. I could probably do a Heimlich maneuver if somebody at the next table starts choking in a restaurant on me someday. <laughs> but, you know, what are the odds that a guy like me ever gets to save a life? And yet with this, with this service, we see it every day. Every single one of our employees knows that that's what they come to work to do is to save lives. And you see it, uh, you know, you'll just be rocking along. Your blood pressure is just kind of normal. You go in every six months and re-up your prescription. It's just no big deal. And then one day we'll get this little bit of elevation and then it's back to normal. And then it'll be a little higher and then, it'll, you know. And it, and it's just sort of slowly starts working its way up. We we identify that problem. The doctor intervenes. Patient never has their heart attack. Well, and, and that applies to so many elements in business because what you track, right? It's you manage what you measure. Yeah. So so the idea that that choosing the right thing to measure is is the thing that's going to bring you know success to your business. If you're measuring the right thing and you're paying attention when, when the numbers change That's or right, are going right. in the wrong direction right. and you have a chance to react before disaster strikes. Right. Yeah. So good. Yeah. If you're right. managing, yeah. If you're managing your business by like your checking account balance and then one day you just don't have enough money to, to pay all your bills, you're in trouble. But if, if you're really managing by the right financial metrics, you'll see it coming and you've got a chance to react to it. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So what uh, what inspires you? Again, here I am. I, I know we, I joked earlier that I get compared to Matt Damon all the time. And, you know, I, I'm king of the dad jokes and stuff. But the reality is I have a very humble view of myself. Uh, I'm not, I, although I'm legally blind without my glasses on, when I put my glasses on, I can see I'm not anybody's hero. I'm not some brilliant guy. Certainly not the best look. I'm not even the best looking guy on this podcast right now. Um, it's close. So, though. so trust me, I'm like, I've got this very humble uh, assessment of my place in this world. And to know that I can, through effort, leave a positive impact that I was able to help a doctor save lives, uh, you know, help the doctor become independent and thrive in their practice and grow their practice and be happy. Um, and, and that that led to a better life for them. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of impacts that I can leave a positive impact. Uh, it's not like I'm going to write some book that everybody's going to read or you know, I'm not going to paint a painting that's going to hang in the museum that everybody wants to see. I'm not that guy, but, but that, I can still have a positive, a positive impact. I, I want to make sure to emphasize that because you, you already you mentioned a bunch of doctors are going to get laid off. And you mentioned that how many I mean, we don't even know what percentage of doctors are miserable in the system that they're stuck in. And 
and you're making a huge difference just giving a doctor permission to love their work again. That's that's a pretty that's pretty cool because because there are so many doctors that are going to be in that position looking for that opportunity and they don't know that it exists and and they feel stuck because they spent 12 years in school and have the debt load re, you know related to that and the right. investment right the that that's a there's no end game for them <laughs> in their mind they have to be a doctor because they've done all of this stuff to get to that point um, to have to let go of that, right, keeps them stuck and, and right. keeps them feeling like they, they don't have options. And so I think it's fantastic that 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 there's a company out there offering doctors this package of services to help them become independent, to help them have an effective practice, to help them focus on patient care and create relationships with employers to bring more patients to them. Right. Uh, whew, that's 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 pretty powerful. And so and, don't, and, don't undersell yourself there. That's, well, and just, just being able, just knowing that, that on the weekend, my client is able to relax and have a good time because mm-hmm. everything's aligned. They're practicing medicine the way it should be done. The, you know, again, we're not turning any of these doctors into to Donald Trump in terms of net worth or anything. I'm not saying that, but they're making good, solid financial progress towards their goals. It, it leads to harmony in, their, their marital relationships, their relationships with their kids, their their friendships. They've got time to pursue hobbies. Just knowing that you've made that kind of positive impact on somebody's life is very satisfying. And I just say this, especially for a guy like me, <laughs> because right. I don't I don't see myself. I've never seen myself as like some guy that was going to change the world, right? But but in a but it's like that. Um, the, the little boy seeing the starfish on the beach. Have you heard that one? Absolutely. And right. And he's throwing the starfish back and the guy's like, why are you bothering? You can't, you're not going to, you're not going to change this situation. And it's like, yeah, but for this starfish, I made things better. That's and that's right. kind that's of right. my view of myself. Like I'm not the guy that's going to figure out how to get all the starfish back in the ocean, but for the starfish I help made all the difference. <laughs> nice. So normally I ask you about designing your business, but, but what is it like for a doctor to be able to design their business around their own goals, around their family, and around the things that they want? It's 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 the it's the it's the reward that they expect. It's what they work so hard to achieve. Hmm. I don't think anyone, and this is what scares me for long term, if we don't turn this around, is the types of people who will select to go to medical school. Hmm. You know, when when you're a cog in the in a bureaucracy. You're basically a, a well-paid auto mechanic. That's going to change the personality and type of person and the motivation of the people who elect to go to medical school. Hmm, absolutely. Well, you and, mentioned the auto mechanic before, and I thought of I've thought of that before, right? Like the auto mechanic has their shop hour rate on the wall, and right. they tell you that you know, hey, this knee replacement—it's a five-hour job at, at this rate, and this is what the part costs, and they and they. That's their that's their transparency. The place where I think the medical system has to take the lesson from the auto mechanic is when they don't have a diagnosis, right? And they don't have these these concrete results that you know what? Right. I can't I didn't get you a result, I can't bill you. <laughs> so <laughs> you know it's or, hard for people just, to keep paying or, for or, or, or just hey, like like my mechanic where I take my car, 
charges an hourly rate to tell me what's wrong. Yeah. He doesn't fix it, but he can look, he can look at the car and do the work. And if he can't figure out what's wrong with it, I still owe him for the time he spent looking. Of course. Yeah. But I know that, but I know that going in. But he's not, he's also not going to keep perpetuating this long-term cycle of, Right. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna tell me hey it's a transmission problem you need to take it to another shop because we don't do transmissions there That's you go right. right yeah well and 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 i love that the that there is there is positive outlooks for our current system and there's positive outlooks that that really can bring about patient care combined with employers being right. benefiting and of course you know the doctors having the practice that they want to have <laughs> when they started. And so those, yeah, those, those things they, are exciting. If waking up the employers who are in charge of paying for health insurance for their employees, that will change things. That's the 800 pound gorilla in this system that, that honestly they have all the power and don't realize it. And, and what they do is they get this story that we've negotiated all of these discounts. If you're in our network, mm-hmm. right. And it's basically discounting your way to bankruptcy. Because what they what they've discounted off of is is an inflated bogus price that no one pays. Right. Well, we had that conversation about the cost basis before. Right. right. So here's yeah. the here's this fifteen or twenty percent discount because you're using our network, but that's still the highest rate that hospital charges. I mean, right. it, the insured price is higher than the cash price. So crazy. What discount are you getting by working with that insurance company? You know, nice. All right, Grady, what's your big dream? Uh, my honestly, I am going to have my funeral and my retirement party on the same day. Oh, nice! Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> I I, lo- I have found something that um, I can do for as long as I can, as long as I can sit upright and talk on a Zoom call and. You know, as long as the, the mind works, uh, I can I can keep doing this job. So nice. I love it. I'm lucky. I'm lucky and blessed in that way. All right. You just spent an hour with a young entrepreneur. You had coffee and you're going to leave him with Grady's words of wisdom. What would you share? <laughs> it's all about the mindset. It's all about the mindset. I most people will tell entrepreneurs that you have to lose your fear of failure. And there's some truth to that. But I think a bigger mindset shift is losing your fear of success. Ooh, nice. I do. I genuinely believe people don't pursue opportunities, don't go after what they what they want because they actually don't think they're entitled to success. Mm. Don't think success happens to people like me or feel guilty for wanting to be successful. Well, all of those things I call fear. And once you master your fear of success, you're, you're miles ahead of everyone else. So much good stuff in there. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time and just having this great conversation. Appreciate you having me, man. If you enjoyed the show, please like subscribe or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com In our next episode, Megan Johnson is a business nerd, 
dream maker, strategy boss, and confidence-boosting business coach. She helps her clients get confident AF and turn their service-based businesses into revenue-generating machines.